Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Let's talk about that. You're in Haiti for the first nine years of life. Facts. <laughs> Facts. You were in Brooklyn. You were basically, it's not like everybody who had your background like said, oh, okay, I'm going to be in the worst ghettos possible. And then I'm going to simply be the biggest rap star on the planet. What's the leap? What made you different? Literally, the job that I loved and was most passionate about was just doing my music. I remember I got fired from Burger King, though. <laughs> right? And if anybody... How? What did you do? First of all, remember on the mass, on the score, remember I said, I used to work at Burger King, a king yeah. taking orders. You know yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So... What did I do? I literally was making Whoppers, but at the same time, um, he caught me singing. And one thing about it is when you're working in these fast food restaurants in our era, you would walk in and they would try to brainwash you with a, a video of what you're supposed to do and what not to do. And this video was like the Bible. It's like, welcome to Burger King. When you're making the Whopper, this is how you have to do. Your hands must be clean, boom, 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 boom. You must have, and I wasn't like talking over no sandwich, you feel me? But literally, I'm making my Whopper, and in my mind, man, you know, I'm like just in Madison Square Garden, and I'm just singing my songs. And the dude comes, he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing, Gene? And I'm like, I'm making a Whopper. He's like, no, you're singing over the Whopper. Is that what you're doing? I'm like, no, I'm not. Man, bang, fired. But in my brain, I just had an ending plan. It's not where you start, but where you're going. Right. Like, don't. this is the number one thing about life. Like, you're about to fucking fall. And so I would think, like, the number one rule is that you're going to teach me something. Teach me survival. That's the first thing. Like, what happens, like, when I fall, you know? And they don't teach that. In fact, they punish you for it. If you get a C, you might not get a job. Yeah. Instead of pointing, like, hey, maybe this is what you need to learn better instead of where you're getting the easy A's. Yeah, man. So... That's me, we'll, man. We'll talk about that because I, I love the education stuff. And and what's the official thing of your kind of why Clef goes back to school? What's the official name of it? Um, why Clef goes back to school, volume one. There'll Here be so many different um, series of that. How'd you team up with Fiverr? I love Fiverr. Um, well, of course, having great, uh, a, a completely independent female label and management production company helps. They're always up on everything. Um but for me, uh, what attracted me to Fiverr was discovery. And I just felt like great talent when I saw what they was doing. And the idea, because my whole career has been based on like analytics that don't exist. You know, like you basically, it's like, who's this? And it's like, oh, there's four girls in the room. Oh, yeah, you else? Sing a church song for me. 
All right. Then that years later, that happened to be Beyonce that was in that room. You know, like um, so for Fiverr for me, for just from the idea of a talent aspect, from um, visual arts to because um, right now the cover <laughs> of this goes back to school mixtape is being done by an artist on Fiverr. Man, I literally think this girl's literally. I think she's like a Picasso, like in a couple of years. Where's she from? Where's um the Maddie? Yes. The girl that's doing the artwork for us from Fiverr, the one that the what's her name? Oh, uh, you know where she's from? That's what I don't know her name. You know where she's from? Find it. I was I was just explaining like she's like a modern day Picasso. She just oh takes this. Do you want yeah. me to show him? Yeah, yeah please, yeah. Saying. And you know, I so freaking be like, people be like, yo, people don't. I'd be like, yes, people still love covers. Like, you know, there's people who would still, I said, you just have to make it interesting. Yeah. And it has to be a real story. I think, once again, there's a passion with that. And and there, and so Fiverr finds that. Well, and also, I think the fact that Fiverr is sort of brings so many third world countries into the developing economy by giving people with talent a voice in the U.S., I can hire go on Fiverr and I hire people from Malaysia to do designs for me. Like, That's right. You know, it's a way to connect the world. Jay, you got to tell me when we're ready because Wyclef and I are going to keep talking about the most amazing things before we get started. I've been recording the whole time. Really? Yeah. All right, keep, keep it going. Even this, because I like mistakes and I like the rawness. <laughs> so, got Wyclef Jean here. Wyclef, you've been, I've been a fan now for 22 years. I wish I had been a fan for 25 years, but <laughs> 22 years ago, I first heard the Fugees, one of the greatest rap groups of all time. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. You've made so many great songs that I've probably played thousands of times <laughs> over and over. Um, I mean, I just, uh, you're, 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 I know this is so long ago. I mean, you probably get tired of hearing about this album, but the score has, was like a life-changing album to me. And that's, again, from like 19... 95 or 96. Yes, sir. And that was your your second album. I just want to just add in the intro, uh, there's two projects you have going on. There's uh, Wife Clef Goes Back to School. You're, go, you're, you're basically mentoring students at colleges, doing a college tour, making a mixtape out of it with the kids that you mentor. And you're also, uh, if I describe that correctly, and you're also doing an animation about your childhood with Netflix, which is amazing. Yeah, man. I don't know which one you want to talk about first, because then we're going to talk about your whole career, breakdown, success, music, the Fugees, everything. Man, it's it's, it's go time, baby. <laughs> you already know. So, so for me, um, it thank you, man. It's definitely an honor. And uh, like I said, they'd be like, I said, look, look no further for the Cinderella man. He's right here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just uh, my life has definitely been a, a fairy tale. But I, I, I would definitely start with why Clef goes back to school, and so. Uh, my entire life has been based off of discovery and the idea of an era where you had to physically show up to smell the talent in the room and to see what it was going to be, you know? So for me, um, the Fugees, for example, the the original, my original group, man, so many record companies passed on us, right? Not only passed on you... Passing you after you went gold with your first album yeah, from 1994. Passed, yeah, they they literally they they were sending these A and R's in, and the A and R's was like, "Well, she's singing, he's playing a guitar and singing, 
The other dude looked like he should be with Guns N' Roses. But he, he, what is this? You know what I mean? I remember you <laughs> made fun of an AR guy uh, in one of your, in one of your songs. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact song, um, but you totally like dissed on just classic AR. And I think I know the exact guy you're referring to as well, but I won't say his name. Yeah, but for me, like, so the idea of the A&R, I always felt like the A&R was the people. Like the people was the one that, that did that. So what we did with the idea of like why Clef goes back to school, I said, what if we use the same method, right? Let's use the same algorithm on how the Fuji's got found. How was I able to um, work with Destiny Child and give them literally their first hit, right? Um, you know, how was I able to do the Gone to November, the carnival? Um, you know what's interesting about the score? The score has no stars in it. There's no known names on the score. The it's score, true. and you each kind of found your own voice in there. That was amazing. It was hard, listening to the whole album. It's hard to say this one's the star. These two aren't because you're all three of you went on to massive success, and you had your very unique styles. Yeah, but beyond the three of us, the score has a lot of features on it. And who are these people? Like when you hear a record like Cowboys, Ole, you know. This is a group called The Outsiders. They ended up getting a deal afterwards. Guess who else was on the score? Akon. So as a producer, I'm always looking for not hype, but talent. So while Clef goes back to school, volume one, you're going to get, it's like the reason we call it back to school, I just went back to the foundation. So the style of production is going to be like 1996 meets 2018. So it's a Sonics revolution. We're putting it together, going into 2019. And similar to the score, you're going to listen to it and be like, yo, this, this is crazy. But then I want you to go back and be like, who is this kid? Who is that kid? Who is that kid? Now we're in an era where you can go on a SoundCloud and guess what? You're going to discover new music and a different way of discovery than is out there. So that's why I'm excited about it. Right, that. and curated by you who have sold tens of millions of albums, won Grammys, you know, produced some of the most amazing hits, you know, sung some of the most amazing hits. So instead of being curated by this kind of corporate, you know, entity that does focus groups on what music people like, you're curating the music that you're picking and then developing that talent and mentoring that talent. And what's the role of a mentor in someone becoming great at what they do? I think to your key, like real curation, right? Even if a man talk about AI today, right? The brain of it has to come from somewhere. So my idol is Quincy Jones. So that's who I've aspired to be since a kid. When people is listening to Michael Jackson, I'm like, who's doing these records? And then um, and then uh, I fell in love with Gershwin. And then, I, so I take, if anyone goes in my brain and put an AI out of me, you're going to get Gershwin, Quincy, Barb Marley, <laughs> well, that's just Dylan, it. you know. <laughs> this is what I feel like. So I, I refer, I have a very specific word for this, which is idea sex, which is that you take two things and you kind of imagine what they look like together. Mm. And it seems like your career, if I can just give the ABCs of it, you learned every instrument or almost every instrument when you're a kid, uh-huh. you learn kind of the theory a little bit later on. Now you yourself are an excellent musician, but then you you pull in jazz and and all this, you know, deep stuff about jazz. Then you pull in 
you know, reggae, all this deep stuff from reggae. You pull in all this stuff from from rap and hip hop and and R and B and pop, and you combine them all together, and that's what created this album that no one had ever heard of these things before. And then even later on, when you combine, you know, Saturday Night Fever with your with your uh, uh, you know particular style, you always were great at like taking well-known things, adding your flavor to it, and making it better. Mm -hmm. It seemed like if I was to capture your style somehow overall, I learn a lot from just that one thing. That's super dope. I mean, Quincy Jones said, see the good music or bad music. So like in my brain, my brain never computed like this is disco, you know, or this is, you know, the BG, so it's classified as disco, right? Then uh, the devil went down to Georgia, Charlie Daniels, this is classified as country. Then Barb Marley classifies reggae. My brain didn't understand. Like, it, it till today, it don't understand what that means. It just computes like, man, this sounds dope. You know what I'm saying to you? Yo, let me catch a vibe with this. You know what I mean? It's like a, a art piece on the wall. You're like, yo, it's an abstract. So music to me is like an abstract painting. And you could just pull from it and just create your own, you know? Yeah, and so you you kind of took elements from things that you loved and then always combine at this point you were already you know a master musician just because you 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 had such musicality learning all these instruments learning the theory starting to perform but then you kind of took everything you loved and say hey let's put our unique spin on it and then it would become even a bigger hit yeah and then for me um i started off a battle rapper i was in um i left haiti came to brooklyn lived in marlboro projects coney island and then I moved to Jersey, and battle rapping, lyrical jousting, was a way of survival. Um, so on the block, you know, versus the shootout or getting into it with your knuckles, um, battle rapping was another way that we solved it. So for me, um, I used to, I became like the one of the best battle rappers in my era in New Jersey, and the teacher was like, "You ain't gonna make a living off of battle rapping." You know what I mean? And here you are. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so what? what Let's describe that for a second. So. Someone's on the corner, they're ba or they're in a club, and there's a battle rap contest or whatever, and you go in there, um, and and a lot of this is kind of shown to mainstream um, public in the Eminem song Eight Mile, where it all you know revolves around these battle raps that he's in. But you're up against someone who's insulting you. You get a beat, and and you start coming up with uh, lyrics on the fly to rap against the person. Is it? Do you have nothing memorized in advance? Is it totally like you're just making it up on the fly? Combination of both, right? Mm -hmm. So it's I, we. Another term for it too is here's the the Wyclef term for it: Shakespearean jousting, right? So literally, you're jousting with lyrics, and so you have to be witty and be able to outsmart the person. So there's two parts to it. One, of course, is the gift of memorization, where you literally your bank of memorization is endless. And the second part of it is to be able to look at your opponent and outsmart him on the spot. Like, what's the, what's the one where you think of where you're the most proud? Like, I made this up. I had maybe a little bit of help from memory, but then I saw him. He said this, and I did this, and that was the be the best memory I have. Well, I think um, for I'm, there's so many of them. So there's something called a scheme, right? So a scheme is where one word can mean two things or three things. So, for example, if you are battling me and I'm going to do, I said, okay, 
I'm going to show you how I got to 21. This call it 21 scheme. You feel me? So now I'm about to completely blow the crowd away because I'm about to use each word that can mean two to three things. So you want to hear the 21 scheme? You yeah, ready? yeah. All right. Now I'm the one. I know what you're thinking. Me too. But in this game of numbers, there could only be a few. I'm the trinity. Now guess the riddle, kid. That's one man on two sticks. What's that? The crucifix. At least that's what they taught me in Sunday school. Forgive my foes. Fives pointed at Pinocchio's nose. Skip the six, go to seven. That's the number of completion. Adam ate the apple, so they cast him from the Garden of Eden. Jealousy got him waving his nine. Cain kills Abel. He a tin man. That mean his heart pump oil. Two ones ain't enough to make it rain. Microphone check one, two. Hip hop lives in my vein. I'm from the era. Dudes scrap with their hands. Play Friday the 13th. Get Cobra clutch a body slam. But my nephews, they don't use their hands no more. It's M14s and M15s. Guns and roses at your sweet 16. And I was born on October 17th. That's the day the motherfuckers killed my leader, Jean-Jacques Dessalines. My mama told me there's monsters under my bed. They 18s. So think Malcolm X, the 19th hour by any means. 2020 vision. They say the good die young. I had to trick death. That's how I made it past 21. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you feel me? So now, so you're like, okay, okay, okay. Now you now, after I do that, bro, you literally would have, so... If you're playing chess, or how would you outsmart me? So now you would have to pick a scheme and or, come at or me. Or if I was, if, presumably I would not be able to do this, but if I was really thinking strategic, I would hit, I would on the fly try to do 21, all making fun of you. Yeah. So but now, I can't, but of course I wouldn't be able to do that. No, <laughs> but, but now what happens is when the crowd is watching, the, the 21 works so incredible, right? And it's so well patterned. So once you stepped out of that zone and you go into the freestyle and you're coming at me, now I'm going to outsmart you. Because if you're coming at me with 21 in my brain already, you're just coming out of the fly with not a form of memorization. So now you allow me to go free form on you. Right, and you're already what you're because say. you've gotten, you've done this, you've seen reactions. So you're more, you've got more uh, in your arsenal. More so, I, I played you to my hand. Right, I've I've gotten sucked into your You're my hand. conversation. Now, yeah, because now you want to try to outbar this conversation. And so, so doing that, it's almost like this was your kind of beginning ten thousand hours on rap. Like you were able to, you know, it was my outlet. Yeah, like I always say, my mama took a gun out of my hand and put a guitar. My cousins got killed in front of Erasmus in Brooklyn, so I didn't I didn't grow up like soft like. I literally was in the projects, you know what I mean? I, I'm i the kid that, you know, that could put a switchblade like under my tongue. Like when you hearing like Fuji La, you know what I'm saying? And you go back, listen to the lyrics and I'm talking about, yo, switchblade under my tongue. All Like it was a survival for us. So for me at the end of the day, every time I said a rap and it was like, yo, this dude is trying, he's trying to test our neighborhood. Go ahead. For us... It was hip hop just gave the outlet. Do you know how many people lives got saved over the fact that now we had another outlet? What are you doing? I'm breakdancing. What are you doing? I'm tagging. I'm doing graffiti. Yo, so-and-so got beef. And then the, the big OG's like, all right, let's just solve it. All right, let's meet on the block at this time. 
bring bring your bars, you know? And it was, it's like, I really want people to understand that. Like at the end of the day, this really was not, it's not just like, let's make up words because the word rhyme with this word. Like where we come from, the rhymes was just based off of like survival, you know? Because if I wasn't rhyming that day, this particular bullet could be attended for me. You know what I mean? If I'm not rhyming, I'm on the block. Like when you hit a carnivore, I'm, I'm talking about the bubble goose. And I'm like, he caught a bullet in his bubble goose. He caught a, you could be at the party getting loose, talking about like, you know, the trap going on in front of my grandma's spot. So at the end of the day, I always try to tell people. And it was funny because when we was coming out as the Fugees, I was like, yo, Tupac coming out, same year, right? Biggie coming out. And this is like, the rhyming is just so like, you know, the verbiage is so hardcore. And they're like, yo, there's no way that the Fugees would last, right? And I'm like, I said, yo, we all from the neighborhood. At the end of the day, we all are telling the same stories, right? So at the end of the day, Alfred Hitchcock, he tells the horror in a different way than Stephen King, right? No, it's so true. And you look Feel at like, me? you look at like, Biggie, and we're we're not we're kind of skipping around because we haven't even gotten to you know really you, you, the hard conditions you came out of and how that transforms into success. But just on what you just mentioned, Biggie was very much a storyteller and had good production behind him. Tupac, you know, was on his own, great singer, rapper. You between you, Lauren Hill, Pross, you're all you were all mega musicians and producers in your own right. And the three of you coming together combined with elements, again, of of jazz and R&B and other styles of music uh, was so different from anybody else coming out of the same scene. Yeah, but like we have to your point, it was just bebop all over again and the new form, you know, like so new players that are replacing the Coltrane's and all of that. That just happened to be hip hop now, right? I, I agree. But when you compare it to like Biggie or Tupac, they didn't have Lauren Hill. They didn't have you yeah. or Pross. Like, yeah. you know, no, all three of you brought something to, to the table. 100%. But, and, but I felt as authors, like if a dude is like, yo, I'm going to pull his gun and I'm going to blast your head. And then they say it literally, right? And then me, I go, now that I escape, sleepwalk, awake, those who can relate know the world ain't cake. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break when they meet their 400-pound mate, right? From ready or not, right? That's right. Ready or not. I'm talking about prison life. I'm talking about, yo, you can get shanked up in there. Like, you literally can get raped. Like, so, it, it can so get let's crazy. Talk about that. You know what I mean? Let's talk about that. Not the rape part, but let's talk about <laughs> the, the other parts. Like, you were, in, you were in Haiti for the first nine years of life. Facts. <laughs> Facts. You were in you were in Brooklyn, you were in you you were basically it's not like everybody who had your background like said, oh, okay, I'm gonna be in the worst ghettos possible and then I'm gonna simply be the biggest rap star on the planet. Like, where what's what's the leap? What made you different? I mean, I always say if anybody's seen the movie Slum Dog Millionaire, that's us. That's the first ten years. We didn't have a bathroom, we had what's called a Ravine. Um we ain't had cars, we, you know what I mean? We took donkeys, you feel me? Um, we ain't have like no light, like electricity. What the heck is that, man? We had that oil lamp, you know what I'm saying? We had that candle. Yo, it's time to go get water. All right, dog. It's going to take you three miles. You better walk to that well and bring back something good, you know? So 
But we had imagination, dude. Like, I remember like being in the in the hut, and we had this one game we played called I'm Going to America. And in this game, literally, I would get in the donkey, and all the kids would stand around and they would wave and be like, Yo, where you going? I'm going to America, man. And then I, I'm on a donkey. Now I gotta tell all the kids, ask them, like, okay, what do you want? And you know, dude's like, yo, bring me back this. I'm like, what do you want? So, so now I take the donkey and I go around the cemetery all by myself with this donkey. I'm going around the cemetery. And as I come back around this cemetery, all of the kids are cheering now. Everyone's like, yo, yo, you bought the bike back from him. You know what I mean? And then I'm on my donkey, like what? Jesus going into Jerusalem, right? And I'm like, okay, here's your bike. You know, this is what your mom told me to say, tell you, you know, so-and-so. Yo, and we're so, it's so incredible because I tell people like, so within extreme poverty comes the gift of just like, an insane form of imagination where you literally take your brain and you go so far that you can forget the fact that you have not eaten for and, two to three days. And so a couple things in there. When you describe the story, you're on the donkey, your friends are coming up with the stuff and you ride around and come back, but you're at the center. And so was there an element of charisma even at an early age that kind of told you you're the one who's going to kind of stand out did that it was there something internal you think that I'm trying to figure out what's external what's internal what 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 are the elements of kind of the success you had were you always the one riding the donkey and always the one at the center with the imagination yeah i was ali bumbaye you know what i mean like at a very young age i always um I always stood up for like, so in the neighborhood, if I felt like somebody was picking with somebody, I don't care if you was like nine, 10, bigger than me, um, we gonna come for you. Um, and then I show up and you'd be like, yo, this kid, like he only weighs like two, you know, two cents, you know, like, and I would speak with authority. And I would say like all of that, you know, my aunt who raised me because my mother left me um, when, I, when I was like one, because she was going to America. So she left me and my other little brother. So I was raised with my aunt. So my aunt basically would tell you, like, I was just so, um, just defiant. And I, I, I was always like the community leader. So, and, and I- And so what, what is it because, it's like, let's say someone's listening to this and they're like, I want to have the charisma. I want to step it up, step up my game so that I stand out, so that people pay attention, so that people are shouting out their dreams to me. Is it a fact that you had these core values? Was your imagination just a little bit pushed more than everyone else? Like, what do you think? And I know it was a young age, so it's hard to de decipher. What do you think it was that gave you even that little push back in the middle of where you had nothing? I, I really think it is like exactly what you said. It's the, the, I always tell people, right? There's nothing to fear but fear itself. Like, I really believe that. So anybody who's listening to this and you want that umph, you got to be fearless. Like you can't say I'm fearless and then something comes at you and it throws you off. Right, you have right? to have you have to have a you have to have a foundation. What's your foundation that even then you were able to fall back on and say no, I'm going to stick up for this kid because it's wrong what's happening and I'm going to do what's right. 
I think the foundation is like looking at my aunt, looking at my grandma, my grandma, my mom's, my mom's, my mom's mom. You know what I mean? Like she was like, she was deep, man. Like I remember like everybody that would hang in my grandma's like at times, you know, like I remember like once a month, man, when at times, you know, we got a chance to get a great meal, you know, like, and that's that Sunday meal, baby, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody went to the city, pulled a, a few chickens in, you know, like big. And my grandma literally, it looked like the food was for the entire community, even though it was for our house. And I remember like police would be coming to eat, you know what I mean? And it could be a dude who's like, you know, a big gang leader, he's there, the police is there eating, you feel what I'm saying? And so it exposed you to like a lot of different types of communities. Yeah, and they told my grandma, why are you going to have him here? Like, this is a big gang, you know? And my grandma's like, look, at the end of the day, you see, if you put the police where the gang is at and the preacher comes and all of that, do you see what everyone's doing? Everyone's human. So at the end of the day, we all are humans. And she always like would say stuff like that and it would just stick with me. You know what I mean? So grandma, definitely. My so, mama's mom. So like fast forwarding to the start of the Fugees, the name the Fugees comes from the word refugees. And it's almost like you're saying, hey, um, all of us outsiders could be our own tribe. You know, you know this, this kind of... Uh, derivative of refugees we're all uh refugees to an extent from from let's say the the normal hurdles of life and i i feel like it wasn't like you were just creating a rap group it was almost like a movement and i think you had that sense from early on hey this is how we bring everyone together we bring everybody into one tribe the policeman and the gang leader and the preacher and your grandma and your aunt let me tell you some stuff i rarely say man I came from Haiti when I was nine. I was raised in Coney Island, man. At the time, it was the Italian mob. I couldn't even speak English that well. I was running numbers at a young age, dog. Like, so it's, once again, it's not just like words for me. It's like, you know, when you're watching a Scarface movie and dude gets in the city, it's like, what are you going to do? Like, so for me, the word refugee or immigrant it was like really like once upon a time in America. Like we just felt like, yo, if we can get to this possibility of this place, like, you know, like we all are created equal space. If we can get there, then we can turn a negative to a positive. So by the time that was like, yo, we're going to call the group refugees. It was because we had people that passed away in the Cuban waters, you know, we had those that made it to Miami but got deported back. You know, I would watch some of my friends tell me the story of like, yo, man, we just came from the Middle East. This is this how it's going down. So we had to flee to come up here. I would listen to my friends from Africa say, yo. And then so I was like, yo, we ain't going to be like, we're not creating music. I was like, we're going to create a movement. So what people are hearing on the score that they love so much, it's a sense of belonging. So the idea was to create a vision of like when you hear Bob Marley, it takes you to a place in a space, right? And that's what we wanted to do. But more so than the word itself, it's a lifestyle. Like really, you know, I'm from 
my DNA is cut from that cloak of just that survival thing, that immigrant thing. And 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 for me, I guess like that's part of like my core value of just to say to a kid, you can go from a negative to a positive. You dig? And 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 a lot of people don't do that. They have as an excuse, look, I'm just an immigrant. I'm not going to get so far. Maybe my kids will get far, but I can't. So what made you think, hey, I could go further. I could step out of this label and, and make my own movement, make my own labels. So what made you think, hey, I could go further. I could step out of this label and, and make my own movement, make my own labels. Well, I would just say like, so when we got to America, my dad was a preacher, Nazarene preacher. And I just used to see him like set up like the hood in the, in the projects. Like We'd be in the projects and people would come in. And once again, it was sort of like the same thing that my grandma was doing. You know what I mean? And one day, um, I say this in a rap song too, we was on the roof of Marlboro Hole Projects. Man, anybody want to check out Marlboro Hole Projects like in the early 80s, like late 70s? Like, dude, this was like, and we were on the roof, and me and my brother, and we like just young little immigrants coming over. And and, and I look at my brother, I say, yo. He said, well, he said what you, he said, he, he looked at me, he said, what are you going to be? And we're overlooking the city, you feel me, from like the roof. And... I said, I'm going to be a gangster. And he was like, man, if you're going to be a gangster, then I have to be a lawyer because I got to keep you out of trouble. Uh. And I was like, because, yo, our mom can't be living like this. Yo, we got to get her up out of here. And it looked like this is probably going to be the fastest way to do it. And we're like kids thinking like this. And today, his name is Samuel Jean. He's a lawyer in California. So we always sit back and he laughs. He's like, hey, I see you didn't turn out to be a gangster. You did good. <laughs> he still turned out to be a lawyer. So for me, those are the kind of stories that when I look back, you know, we be just giggling about. You and when did, when did the music come in? Like you, you knew like a ton of instruments at an early age. Clearly you had talent, but talent requires skill to feed it. A lot of people have talent and never make it. What, what... When did the talent come in? When did you realize this was this was the love of your life to do this? And and when did you decide, hey, I'm going to put in thousands of hours to be the best? I always credit it back to the village and the my village aunt, people. Just a <laughs> yeah, like that, uh, young man. <laughs> so I always credit back to being in that village, that small village. Uh, my aunt always says, "I'm always singing," which I was always. And there's an instrument called the tumble, which is a drum, constantly playing it. Um, and coming to the States and uh, my father having a church, this is how the whole thing started. He wanted to have a band for the church, right? He was like, yo, I need music in this church, right, <laughs> to, to attract more people, whatever. So what better way than to get my kids to become the church band, right? But Free we, child labor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, <laughs> We're reporting your dad in child protective services right now. My daddy, right? RIP. So we, so he's literally like, okay, right? So like, like Joe Jackson, right? I'm going to, this is the early days. And 
he just saw like we just love singing around the house. So he had one little TV, cause we in the hood, and you know, my dad was like the Haitian Al Bundy, so he controlled the TV. And there were like two things like you can really watch on television with my dad. One was cowboy movies. He was obsessed. Um, like certain cowboy movies, like I know like Mr. Nobody, you know, that's a really rare, like some people might know who that is, but it's a dude who literally would shoot um, from, he literally made a gun out of his hand. Um, so my dad, so we can tell you the year and what Western played. And the other thing which he allowed us to watch was The Muppet Show. So in The Muppet Show, you had Animal and everybody. So everybody played instruments, an Animal and the drums. You know, you had, you had Kermit, and this is how Kermit talked. This is how still to today I could speak like Kermit the Frog. So you had Kermit, you had all of these dudes. Well, we, we, we've had Miss Piggy on the podcast, actually. Oh, uh, man, I love Miss Piggy. So we, one Christmas, my father shows up, dude, with all the instruments from The Muppet Show. Dog. Man, we spent weeks banging on things, playing the drums, playing, and and he's looking and he's laughing every day. And every Sunday now, there, you know, I'll be, I'll be a witness, a witness for the Lord. Ah, you know, and you're playing and you're sounding terrible. And he's like, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You go. And then eventually, as I started getting like to be like 12, 13, I just started while my friends were playing Atari, I just started saying, man, let me figure out how I could do this drum solo from Bruce Springsteen. You know what I'm saying? My little brother, Sadek, who played drums. He was incredible. And he was very young. It was like, oh, man. Then I saw him, doo-doom, 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 and trying to figure it out. He was little than the drum. So then we all go on the drums, and now we all are trying to do this. Then it's the guitar, then it's the bass, then it's the accordion. So, dude, by the time I'm like 16 years old, I'm literally self-taught in like anything that's a string instrument, you know? And not only um, the instruments, but also the styles. Like Bruce Springsteen, you have to get used to his style if you're going to play his stuff. Well, the way that that happened, which people be like, yo, dude, you're weird. Like, how? Because my, my rep, I learned rock before rap. And people like, I said, yeah, like, I learned rock. And they said, so being that my dad was a minister, this this is rad. So it was fully a Creole congregation, dude. They spoke no English. No English in a congregation, purely Creole. And we are learning how to speak English, right? Meaning the kids. And then so my dad was so strict, you could not play nothing in the house that was not Christian music. So... The first band we was introduced to was called Petra. Petra was a Christian rock band. Petra, Striper, those two bands. So we was playing everything like Petra. You know, it's uh, it's okay. There's a song called Annie, all of this stuff. So one day, man, I look at my brothers. I said, man, look, man, ain't like they understand what we saying anyway. So all we got to do is pick up... Um, all we got to do is say Jesus' name in our music because that's the only thing they know in English. So my brother was like, yo, what you got here? My brother was like, yo, this is the policeman synchronicity. I was like, yo, let's check it out. Now we listening to the police synchronicity. Like, yo, what you got here? Yo, this is Pink Floyd, The Wall. All of this music, we was 
doing it because it was the closest thing sounding to um, Christian rock because we didn't want to play Christian rock in the church. We was getting bored. So we needed music that was sonically sounding like that. And then the Christian guys was calling it rock and putting Christian on it, but it was sounding purely like what the guys was doing. Um, and then so this is how we we discovered all of that. You know what I'm saying? So born in the USA was not born in the USA. It was born in the Jesus town. Born in the Jesus town, first step I heard was when I hit the ground. You know, so we was all of this, all of this rock music that you could think about. We would literally were doing covers of them in the church. But that's amazing <laughs> because think about it this way: Born in the USA, in a weird way, it's as if it was focus grouped by all of the United States, and in all of the United States said. Yes, this is good. And so you took advantage of that focus group. Mm -hmm. You brought it to a group who hadn't heard it at all. You changed the words to Jesus. You know it's going to work. It, and it worked 100%. Cause but it, it's like what you did with with the Bee Gees and your style, the exactly. Fuji style. Like, That's right, on like, and on. You know it's going to work when you do that. That's it's right. killing me softly. You know it's going to work. It's going to work, baby. <laughs> and so that, but, but, but it's not to take away from your skill, you spent the 10,000 hours learning every instrument, learning the styles, learning the theory. Like, so you had the kind of core values, you had the charisma, you had the practical experience on the stage. And then you kind of had this, you learned this ability to take famous songs that you knew would work and do it to an audience in a new way where you know 100%, there's like 0% chance they're not gonna like it. 100%, you know, for me and and also the gift of DJing, right? So you could forget about it. So, you know, I had my cousins, they would DJ and I would be the front MC. So I literally knew every crate, every song. I can go to any audience, you know what I mean? And this is another way to make a little $100 a week. You know, I can play anything. I can read a crowd in two minutes. So literally we show up and like, yo, you know, we, we hired to play like, you know, a suburban party, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, dog, this is the playlist, Journey, Bon Jovi, like, you know, and I'm, I could just look at the crowd. I'm like, yo, this is the play. Anything. We could be a heavy metal party, a reggae party. Well, what would you do? Like, okay, they tell you to play Don't Stop Believing by Journey. What would you do? Oh, I have it. Uh -huh. So I built, so we built a crate. So we had what was called a small sound system. So one of my other, one of our other gifts that I loved most was one of my favorite things was to go to the record store. And in the record store just spend days, like literally we come back. So, you know, like in a rock section, you would be pulling records and per the buzz of what you're hearing, it's like, yo, man, what you play last week? Yo, I played Journey, Don't Stop Believing. What was that? Dog, I'm telling you right now, you might want to go to the record store because somebody might call it. So you literally building your crates and, and, uh, and, and once in a while, right, they'll come in and they will ask you for something in the crate. And then you won't have it, but you'll make sure that you write it. So like the next time, I, th I think somebody had asked me one time in the crate for a John Cougar Mellon cap. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't what's in the, the wait, crate. What's his famous song? Um, John Cougar I think Mellon. it was like, down, and out. Wait, wait, that, was that it? Doesn't he do the one Jack where... Jack and Diana. Jack and Diana. Jack and Diana. Somebody yeah. asked me for Jack and Diana. I didn't know. I was like, John Cougar, who he a Cougar? You know, I didn't know what was going on. But um, but once again, what what is that? It's almost like so you spend an entire your entire time just searching for music, finding music, loving music, 
right, while your boys are playing basketball and they love it. So they know every team, every player, you know, um, you got those that are. So for me, it was like that with music. So it was like, oh, Jeopardy, I'll take 500 for music. You know? So what do you think? Like, if let's say someone's listening to this and. And they're going to their job, their corporate job. They're they've been doing it for thirty years. They're getting tired, and and they're like, it's easy for him to say, "I get it." He grew up in bad neighborhoods and you know poverty stricken countries, but he had these benefits. He had this benefit that as a kid he was able to put in his ten thousand hours studying music. I want to do something new now. What would you suggest to a guy like that? Yeah, well, I mean, I had absolutely no advantage. My come up literally was like it wasn't like. I had the time and was like, oh, my mom was on welfare. Let me spend. No, I was a security guard. I was the waiter. I was the bus boy that was serving you, right? Um, Do you think it's, you think it? So, I was so, doing all of these jobs, but at the same time, I remember when they kicked me out of, they kicked me. Um, I might as well say the restaurant that I got kicked out. Of. I remember I got fired from Burger King, dog, right? <laughs> and, if anybody, How? what did you do? First of all, remember on the mass on the score. Remember, I said I used to work at Burger King, a king yeah. taking orders. You know yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So what did I do? I literally was making whoppers, but at the same time, um, he caught me like singing. You know what I'm saying to you? And one thing about it is when you working in these fast food restaurants in our era, you would walk in. And they would try to brainwash you with a, a video of what you're supposed to do and what not to do. And this video was like the Bible. So when you're, you know, it's like, welcome to Burger King. When you're making the Whopper, this is how you have to do. Your hands must be clean, boom, 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 boom. You must have, and I wasn't like talking over no sandwich, you feel me? But literally, I'm making my Whopper, and in my mind, man, you know, I'm like just in Madison Square Garden, and I'm just singing my songs. And the dude comes, he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing, Gene? And I'm like, I'm making a Whopper. He's like, no, you're singing over the Whopper. Is that what you're doing? I'm like, no, I'm not. Man, bang, fired. So I just want everyone that's listening. So it's not like um, I, we're those people. Like I was just saying at the end of the day, every job that you could think, what was the word? I was like, yo, Clef can't keep a job. Because literally the job that I loved and was most passionate about was just doing my music. But when I tell you I've done every... The job that I remember most was working with my father. And this is why nobody in the world could tell me nothing about America. Nobody. Because I traveled the world. And when I tell you there's really no place like America, my man, like this ain't just a word. This is like an immigrant who's telling you that. Because I'm working with my father and we cleaning bathrooms. I'll never forget at the Ramada Inn in New Jersey. Yes, why Clef is cleaning bathrooms with his dad. And when I was cleaning bathrooms with my dad, the cover band was outside and they're playing Journey. Um, but the, the coolest thing the cover band was playing was um, Owner of a Lonely Heart. You know, and so when I used to clean the bathrooms, I would lose myself with the music that the cover bands were playing. And I remember I had the plunger and somebody did a mess in the bathroom, man. And I like put the plunger down, you know what I'm saying? And freaking piss come up on Wyclef's face. <laughs> man, dude, I'm so pissed off and so heated right now. 
I take the plunger and I throw it down, right? And my father comes to me and he's like, you pick up the plunger. Pick up the plunger now. And I pick up the plunger. He's like, this is America, you know. Never be shameful of anything you do as long as what? As long as it's honest. As long as it's what? Yeah, dad, as long as it's honest. Okay, you go back, you finish the bathroom. And so for me, it's like, that's why I could relate to Bruce Springsteen. You know, that's why I could relate to Marley because, so anyone who's listening to this, this ain't, that's why I say my life is like the Cinderella man because at the end of the day, it's like, I just want everybody to know the key to what I did is just the passion. And at the end of the day, it's like whether I'm cleaning the bathroom whether I'm a waiter, where, wherever you see me, everyone going to be like, yo, when I seen this dude, he just was so happy like it was his last day on earth mm -hmm. because this is how my daddy raised me, but in my brain, I just had an a, a ending plan. It's not where you start, but where you're going. You know? and, and I think it's having that positive aspect that is always lets you move forward instead of saying, ah, oh, this is all I'm going to be. I'm, uh, I have my excuses. I can't do it. Like if every day you're kind of saying, okay, well, I'm listening to yes, I'm cleaning the bathroom, I'm going to be positive about it, just like my dad said. That's always a way to just slightly move the needle a little forward. And if you keep doing that, you know, maybe it'll be at a later age you could succeed where you succeeded, but it could still happen. 100%. I always tell people that first rule my dad to me, you have to have a job. Like, they, it do, you got to be doing something, like at the end of the day. But the job but passion is different. And they, my dad said, but once you lose your passion though, you lose everything. So I always tell people, so my brother is a lawyer, but his passion is writing. So he loves to write scripts. And this is where he gets like his energies. And so I, I always meet people and they're like, yo, you know, I'm working at AT&T, right? Or I'm an IT guy here. Or I'm a you know, but then I also meet people that like, yo, I'm a doctor, but yo, I be DJing on the weekends. This is what I love. And somehow this is what they love. So I always tell us as humans, like, don't forget the true essence of life. You still, because sometimes it seems like you need that dollar. And because you need that dollar so much, you only work for that dollar. Then you turn around, you six feet deep and have not enjoyed the essence of life which is adventure and you have to have passion and find it. And so so there's two things I want to unpack there. One is kind of the obvious question which is some people they've been so drained in by, you know, college, grad school, then their job for 20 years, then raising the family, all these honorable, respectable things, but they forgot to find their passion or they forgot to find a passion because you don't have to be passionate about just one thing, you can be passionate about many things. What's a technique maybe to find a passion? And you found yours so early on, maybe it's hard for you to sort of connect how someone older could find a passion. Well, I think older people could definitely find a passion. Um, I'll give you an example. I always say every person has at least one good friend. Like, that'll just give it to you. You know what I'm saying to you? Like, Steve's Mike. Steve's yeah, Mike's yeah, there's the one who's always going to be blunt with you. And just raw, and you'd be like, shut up, but you know they always just got that thing for you. And so I always tell people, uh, make sure that the company around you is like company, you know? So if you just sit down and every weekend, 
you with a crew, and what they're going to be doing is they're going to be putting the jack on the table, and they're going to be talking about the stories that happened in 69 and 70, and every weekend it's the same thing. Then next thing you know, you're going to be like 80, 90, like what happened? So um, I always believe in encouraging people. Quick story. So my wife, she was a fashion designer, and her name is Fusha Design. She was doing Brian Park for three seasons. And she was competitive to fat form, to everything. Like, she was insane. Then we had my daughter, Angelina. And she's like, you know what? I'm, I have to stop this fashion thing. Like, I got to go raise my daughter. And then so she spent like 13 years. My daughter's 13. And she raised her. And now you would think like, if she's going to go back in the fashion climate, it's a whole new nother climate, right? So... How do you go back to your passion? Because at the end of the day, that was really her passion, but she knew at the end of the day, there's nothing greater than raising her daughter. So I was like, you know what? You can do it. Like, I'm with you. Like, just to, I know that that's your gift and that's your passion. And she just did, her first show was at Pier 59, right? Man, she did, did this show. My daughter's 13. She comes out. I'm DJing the show. Uh, you know, I'm the DJ for hire. And, um, and, uh, and I look at her face. It's priceless. I could never get her to cheese like that because the cheese is coming all the way up to her ears because once again, it's something that she's passionate about. So I always say you need people around you still that can at least encourage you and tell you, yo, you're not finished. Like, yo, you still got it. Like, you you know, you, you still need that. Because sometimes when we as humans are just by ourselves with nothing, um, the doubt factor will for sure kick in. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the Dow factor in a second because you had to deal with it with your first album. But there's one other thing I want to mention about all your jobs that you had when you were starting out, and I've heard you refer to this in an interview. Um, and I love this. Describe the phrase uh, "build your vacuum network." Oh yeah, build your vacuum network. So one of my jobs, um, anyone who's listening, uh, I'm actually was the king of selling Kirby vacuums. I kind of had a feeling just, right? you know. So I'm a, I'm a good salesman. And so with Kirby, you get the training. And Kirby, as you can see, once I start talking about Kirby vacuums, my entire voice changes. <laughs> the whole pitch changes. This is not like Burger King. Why Clef Jean is about to sell you this Kirby vacuum and you need this in your life. Like you just it, lost your call accent, everything. You feel me? <laughs> like I am selling Kirby vacuums. But... What was deep about Kirby vacuums is you go into the individual's house. And the thing about anyone who knows about Kirby vacuum, it's a kit. You literally have to put the entire vacuum together, you know? And I always use this analogy because if you can, like, leave that house having sold the Kirby vacuum, like, at the end of the day, there's nothing that you want to sell that you can't sell. And so at the end of the day, I used to go from house to house, house to house. And I, I, I didn't sell in every house. Like, But even when I didn't sell the vacuum, I remember somebody like pushing me out. You feel me? Like, yo, pushing me out. And as they're pushing me out, I'm like, yo, you're going to regret this. Can't you see the dust? Can't you see the... Get out of here! You know what I'm saying to you? <laughs> so it was like that, that thing, which once again, only in America, that idea of that opportunity... And here it is. Are you going to take it or not? So the same way that I would sell you a Kirby vacuum is going to be the same mentality 
that I'm going to use now to, if you come at the show and I'm like, yo, you need a Wyclef piece of merch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't understand. You can't leave without this merch, right? So it's almost like you find things that you've done in your childhoods in different jobs. You're literally like applying it to your modern job, your modern day life. You know? And also, would you try to sell CDs to vacuum customers? Wasn't there an element of that? Of course, of course. So you were always connecting the dots. Of course, you everything. have to. Exactly, because what happens is anywhere that I go, I always got my music with me. So at the end of the day, I always use, like the Burger King story, I'm always saying, so there's always an opportunity. So at the end of the day, I remember, it's so funny, I remember I would, it was a Kirby vacuum and I sold this Kirby vacuum and I left the person with a blend tape, uh, uh, a CD, a blend CD. And I was like, you know what? Today's a good day, you know? You bought this Kirby vacuum from me. I'm going to leave you with some of my music. And at the end of the day, this person's taking the music. I don't know if they're going to play it or not, but they're like, yo, this this is a very interesting character here. You know what I'm saying to you? Like, did he just like, you know, I'm like, yeah, no, don't worry about it. You don't have to pay for this. I'm going to give it to you. And then at times, you know, we, we, we sold the music, you know what I mean? Um, but with everything that I always do, there's always a component of like, music in it there's always a component of melody so always kind of taking what you're doing even if it's not the passion but figuring out how to connect it to the passion. watch this i worked in a beauty salon store for ek korean boss and i'm working for him in the store and i'm selling beauty products anybody who's listening to this and you want to test why clef john's beauty products let's go we got precise Revlon, right? These are some of this very important. Another great uh, shampoo and conditioner is called Cream of Nature. Okay, we could get into it. But this is the story. So while I'm working, he's from Korea. So I was like, yo, man, teach me some Korean. And literally, so if I'm like, na, 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 anyang hashami ka, ha, ha, se suli, se rang ham nita. I promise you, if someone's Korean, they're like, how do I clef know this? Because while I was working there, I was like, yo, I should probably learn a few lines in Korean on my freestyle because mm. when I get to Seoul, I'm going to know, I'm going to have to be able to flip the word. Man, if someone was standing next to me in the hood, like, Seoul where? Where the hell are you? What, what, what are you thinking about, you know? But once again, this is that connection of anything that I'm doing. There's always some kind of a music thing I'm looking for. Well, know? and also this is, you mentioned Einstein was one of your favorite philosophers. This is a thought experiment. What if my music keeps going and I end up in Seoul, Korea? I yeah. need to be able to blow the crowd away. That's the what if. And that's so, that's always like how I moved. You know what I mean? And that's how, when I look at Einstein, you know, and I see the two sides of the mind, you know, like that side and the the other side with the violin the the this was a whole nother level because classical music is like calculus it's a whole nother thing just to to watch how he would but it's that what if factor you know and people don't understand it because it's an invisible world when you're talking about it you know what i mean mm -hmm. so it's like why is this dude learning korean like what and my managers that know they'll see me in the car and 
every day I got 16 bars that are written in a rhyme form every day and ve stay very current to the generation. They're like, yo, I, I said, what if one day I pop up on stage and there's some kids like, yo, I want to battle you right now. <laughs> like, I can't be debating like, yo, I knew you from boom, boom, boom. And, and I was like, man, I have to always be ready to give the crowd some unexpected thing. And so for me, this what if factor is just a natural thing for me in my life. I think that's I think that's so important. I think that's what gets you past the doubt, which gets me to album number one. You guys are already incredible musicians. The album even went gold, but at first it was considered a total flop. Nobody wanted to do your next album. And it's hard to be young and experience some failure or rejection. Like how, you know, Persistence beats resistance, but how did you push forward? All right. So his his is so you you're bringing back like so much memory, and I know everyone's like tuned in. So I'm always like thinking of like what happened in the past that could just okay. So the album's called Blunted on Reality, and the album, according to them, it flops. Right. Dude, you sell 500,000 at that time. That's considered flopping. <laughs> like, can you imagine? Now that would be the number one album of <laughs> yeah, like the 2010s. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so, uh, it was very, it was very, 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 um, very rough because you're trying to figure it out. So I was like, man, what am I going to, what are, what are we going to do? Like, um, so once again, we always keep going back to the village, right? The what if factor. Here's the what if. So, young man's the village, right? No, the village in <laughs> Haiti. So, I went back, man. I was like, okay, what am I going to do here? People ain't paying attention. So, one day I'm sleeping and I wake up. I'm in the hood and the booger basement now, the booger basement. And, you know what I'm saying? I um uh, I woke up, you know what I'm saying? Young little thug hippie. I already had my draw, my spliff. So by the time I get up, I'm already moving slow motion. And the TV comes on and I see a dog with one patch doing a Budweiser commercial. And I said, oh shit. If this dog can be famous in America, <laughs> oh hell no. Ain't no way I ain't going to be famous. An animal being famous, it ain't going to happen. And so I said, I need a mascot for the next show. So the managers called and said, you guys are opening up for Jodeci. This is big. Like anyone who's listening to that, like that would have been like someone's like, okay, like a kid coming out today. And then they're like, oh, you're opening up for Chris Brown. You know what I mean? Or the Migos. Like, you know what I mean? It's like. For real, I'm going to get a shot. So you clearly know that there's going to be eyeballs there. So once again, I'm like, yo, how can, you know, like how, what's it's the what if factor. So I went down to Newark and I went to the livestock store. Now, anybody who's listening to this, I want y'all to know that I love animals. You know, you can look online and I've, I've been from cubs to lions to all kinds of animals. I don't believe like animals should be caged up or nothing. I feel like they actually should be moving with people. So I told the dude, listen, I got a show tonight. I need a mascot. 
uh, do you have any cows? Right? So I forgot, like, coming from this village, like, because in my brain when I was little, <laughs> somehow <laughs> I'm thinking of a little baby cow, right? And dude brings me to this to this room, and they're like these big-ass cows. I'm like, dog, I got a hoopty. These cows can't fit in my hoopty. I got to show tonight. I need a mascot. Do you got anything smaller? He brings me to this other room, and he opens the door. And I freak out at first. And he's like, yo, yo, don't freak out. This is what we call a rare Mexican goat. The goat has two horns, red eyes, and is all white. And I said, dog, this is going to be the mascot for tonight. So I take the goat back in the hood. I put uh, a Fuji t-shirt on the goat. How are you cleaning like when the shit when the goat? Oh, he got crazy. So I put the Fuji t-shirt on the goat. At this point, my, my band members think I'm crazy. And the single, which is the single, which is called Boof Boff. And we go and we get in the club that night. And the dude's like, yo, this next, his name was Big Cap, a big DJ. He passed away. He was like, this next group coming up, they got flavor. Yo, make some noise for the fudgies. I was like, <laughs> this is not our names, but it's okay. He will learn. So Lauren comes out. She starts singing. Pride starts singing. And now they're like, yo, Clef, where you at? Clef, where you at? So I'm trying to, me and this goat, we super cool until then. Now I'm trying to bring the goat on. And the goat refuses to go on. True story. I pick the goat up, put the goat on stage. The goat runs across the stage. It's a Jodeci concert. All so you can imagine how many pretty women are. The women start to run back as <laughs> if it's an exorcist movie. Um, and the goat freaks out and he shits through the uh -huh. whole trail of the stage. And and um and I remember that night because it was like, yo, Clef, how could you do this? You have completely ruined us. I was just trying to get a way for people to start to pay attention because for chapter two, I saw where it was going, right? Now, Puffy is in the middle of the street with a diaper, right? With a pacifier promoting Biggie. So for me, I ain't, I'm not doing nothing. You know what I mean? I don't see, I think I'm, I'm headed the right route. And so three days later, the radio is going on and they're like, yo, Y'all won't believe what happened, man. Some group came out at a Jodeci concert. I think they were from Haiti. They was trying to sacrifice a goat on stage, right? <laughs> and he was like, yo, what's their name? He said, yo, I think they were the Fugees. And the goat t-shirt said, Boof Boff. And it's like, what's that? It's like, yo, I think that that was their single. And I promise you that. From that day on, and I heard that on the radio, there was no doubt in my mind that... We had to be in that basement working on the score. Because I was like, yo, we have their attention. So I always tell people like, you know what I'm saying? Like when in doubt, you just have to find a new route. You dig what I'm saying to you? So that, that, that's how, that was one of the, because sometimes I always tell people, if you feel like you truly got the skills, right? To get the crowd there, like the art of war, sometimes you have to apply promotions and in a very witty way. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you still have to get noticed to get people in the door. Yeah. Yeah, man. And then the score itself is written in such a unique way. Like, and I'm even talking about the song, the score. 
which is my, which personally for me is my favorite song on that album. Like, how do you, that, that wasn't a cover. That was very unique. Very, very unique. And you could hear a lot of jazz roots in that. You know what I'm saying? There was this um, producer by the name of Diamond D. And he was just, you could just tell that he had this jazz thing going. You know what I mean? And then um, wanted something that had very jazz roots. And as a guitar player, you know, wanted something that just sounded totally different than anything that was out there. Like what happens if you take great vocals and put against a jazz record? And it almost had like this mystical feel to it. Like, I don't know. It just sounded even different from jazz songs. I don't and, and to yeah. me. But but once again, it was sort of like the way that I see jazz and the way we heard it on the score. It was like after the bebop and all of that, it was like, what would be the new jazz? It was yeah. hip hop. So it was like the way that we heard it would be like if we were doing jazz, which to a person, they'll be like, that's not jazz. That's some funky stuff going on. And we like, but in our brains, it's like the new version of what jazz would be, you know? And now, so now fast forwarding a million years, Netflix is planning an animated special based on your childhood. Like, what happened? They they call you up and say, hey, we really think this is going to be the greatest animated special of all time. Man, for me, what's exciting about that is the last movie score that I scored was Life for Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. Mm. And so being someone who's also trained in my later years musically, like the next phase I want to get to was like, yo, I want to be competitive with the people that are doing scores at the Oscars. I want to be competitive. I believe I got the chops to do that. So for me, um, we approached Netflix, right? So my man Greg, you know, Madeline, uh, and uh, my man who wrote the book, The Jungle Book, we, we approached them on an idea of like, look, man, at the end of the day, I, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to do, you know, Wyclef inspired music movie first 10 years. And I was like, yo, like the same way like you got Rio or the Cinderella story, I would like to show the world Haiti from the eye of a kid that turns what can appear to the eye as poverty, but is the biggest Disneyland in the world. And um, so at the end of the day, um, this will definitely... I change, it will inspire kids from all over the world um, because it's a real kid from a third world island. And when little kids are watching this, man, and they see that, what you going to eat today? We don't have nothing to eat. And then someone out of nowhere kicks a soccer ball, for example. And all of a sudden, everyone just forgets the fact that they was just talking about food, that we about to play soccer all day. It's just, oh, I could take that kid from Haiti and put that ball there. I could take a kid from Afghanistan, put him in the same field with the ball. Take another kid from Israel, put him in the same field with the ball. Take a kid from Syria, same ball. Take a kid from Brooklyn, same ball. And we stand back. And what they're going to do? They all going to play football. So at the end of the day, I want to inspire the youth when they see this and to show that 
there's unification when it comes to youth. And the only division factor is the fact that we make the division. And at the end of the day, if we could think like a child and from the eye of a child, maybe the world would be different, you know? And it's such an important message in a world where everybody's seeking to divide right now and rather than unify. Yeah. And when can that, when, when do we expect to see that, that show out? Um, I guess like the animation probably like two, three years, you know, like I think two years, they're going to definitely, um, and then the music, right? So why Clef, the composer, um, Sounds of Haiti, right? The the way that this is going to be recorded, I'm going to bring you things you've never heard before sonically. You know, I plan to go to the deep mountains of Haiti, deep mountains where, um, you know, the celebration of voodoo, you know, as a celebration. And I want to record the women. I want to record them singing. And I need to, to, to show, like, the beauty of the island, you the got, magical... You got you got to do a, the making of documentary too. Yeah. The making of the music is going to be, because if I don't have a camera and when we go to these places, like to show you what these instruments are made out of, um, you know, there's there's a place where I bring you and a lady will just sing and you'll just start crying. And you don't know why you're crying, but it's like that frequency of motion. So for me, I would like to present um, something to the world as a composer the same way when I heard the score for Once Upon a Time in America, I was like, yo, man, this is dope. Or when we heard the score for The Godfather, right? It was like, yo, what is this? Um, so I'm very excited about the composition of what, what, what I will create musically. And it's, so, it's sort of like even now, every day, you're pushing forward. You write your 16 bars in the morning. You're thinking about animated shows. You're thinking about, you know, you know, this unified vision of how people should operate. You're thinking musically, how that all ties in. It's like you push yourself each day to keep improving. And that's kind of a lesson too, as you get older, like nothing has to stop. You don't rest on your laurels. No, not at all. I learned that from Quincy Jones. I mean, you know, like I just turned 49. I'm just getting started. He ain't do Michael Jackson till he was like 53. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's good news. I'm 50. So, so you know I'm what that means? Beginning. Family, we just getting started. I call it chapter two, which is so exciting. Yeah, I like that. Well, you know, Wyclef Jean, the Fugees, uh, back to school with the mixtape. When's that uh, gonna come out? When can I um, listen to that? So, so so the the new project is slated for December 14th. So I'm just wrapping up, we're finishing the um with the kids so we have the first single uh the poet that comes in at the end of the first single is a student from nyu um so the first single is a record called baba baba is after i took my dna test and that's the first record from the mixtape so everybody that'd be like yo um that want to hear why clef first 2018 back to the essence hip-hop roots for sure listen to baba and what did what did your DNA test show you? Did you learn anything? Yeah. Um, so are you part Jewish? Um, I think everyone is. Um, <laughs> no, so I'm I'm naturally Nigerian. So it it showed me in a heavy heavy connection, like deep rooted, with like you know Africa and then the Nigerian side, which a lot of Haitians said no, nah, you know, because Haitians are necessarily from Benin, which is another part, and it was so 
crazy. Like when I took it to just see how deep the, the Nigerian bloodline was and damn warriors in the movement. And it made me understand certain things about myself. Like, okay, like, all right, this is why you decided to run for president in Haiti. You know what I'm saying? Like you used to running straight. You know what I mean? Like you not scared of the fire. So I always encourage people at the right time. It's always great to, if you get the chance with the right people, get the Get get your DNA test, um, and just it 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 inspired me for chapter two. Well, um, I wanna I wanna close off, but I just wanna say what I was telling you out there. The first time I heard you at all it was like early 1996. I think I was on the second date with the woman who who was my first wife, and uh, we were at Madison Square Garden for. Uh, the Bo Galata fight where mm -hmm. there was a riot at the end. Yeah, yeah, yes. Because Galata was hitting too much below the belt and yeah. then everyone started fighting. Mm -hmm. But Riddick Bo comes out and it's the song was the score. And I'm mm -hmm. like, what is this song? This is the best song I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I became a huge fan. Thank you, thank so, you. Man. So thank you. So I feel like it's like full circle. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank Wyclef you, man. Gene, come hey, back Wyclef, anytime. Is it? Because I've heard both. Gene and John, is it? It's all good. Like no, I'm Gene, just saying. Like, so in in America, yeah, I don't want to see the fuzzies. No, 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 no. In America, you have Gene, you have Jean. So my Texas gang call me yeah. Gene, right? What about Wycliffe? Have, yeah, you have. You also have Wycliffe. You know what I'm saying? So my Nigerian, you know what I mean? As long as it's why we 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 out here in America, baby. <laughs> okay, it's Wycliffe. Okay, you good? <laughs> you know, I disrespect you. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you, thank you so much, man. And I'm about to go check the comedy joint down there. Yeah, please. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, we'll do some event down there. Yeah, for sure. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.